this episode of The Interface, I speak with Rick Schneider, Senior Advisor for the Amphenol Corporation. Rick has been with Amphenol for over 16 years, but has been part of the interconnect industry for over 30 years. We talk about his current role advising the next leaders of Amphenol as the corporation restructures to keep up with the tremendous growth. We talk about the rewarding experience of helping to lead the Amphenol Frontline team, which was created to assist Amphenolians around the world combat the COVID-19 virus. We talk about a few of his mentors throughout his life and career, including his father, who taught him the value of hard work and self-sacrifice. And I put Rick on the spot to pick his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. It's become quite the popular topic. Uh, (laughs) It was just kind of a throwaway thing. And then it kind of was like, okay, I'll do it for the next one. And then it became a thing. And then people would come on and go, I've been thinking about this for weeks, so I have a list. So I was like, wow, okay. So people really kind of like it um, and wait till the end to to hear what it is. So it's very strange, but I like it because it just gives a different perspective of the person, which is really the sure. whole reason behind it. Yep. So, and it gives me a chance to judge. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> so anyway, Rick, thank you very much for doing this today. Um, I appreciate you giving me uh, and the audience your time. We'll just start off with what you're up to right now as a senior advisor for the Amphenol Corporation. So these days, and we're right now in February 2022, what is a, an average work week or a work month now for you as a senior advisor for Amphenol? Kind of off the day-to-day a grind of business, but more just kind of overseeing and advising and, and being a counselor. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Well, first off, just let me thank you for having me on the podcast. Also, just let me thank you for all the great things you've done for the frontline team right now as we're hopefully approaching towards the end of the pandemic and yeah. and so forth. But uh, you've been a key member of the team and, and obviously communications have been kind of critical to, uh, to everything we've been doing. So thank you for that and for everything that you do. Thank right? you. And especially thank for these podcasts, which are, which are, I think, are terrific. So senior advisor, number one, you have to have gray hair for that job. Actually, my hair is white, so I guess I'm... <laughs> I guess I fit the bill for that. Yeah, I'm uh, getting there. The little I have, I'm getting there. <laughs> so first of all, I don't, I don't even have a typical week anymore. Yeah. Um, so I, I pretty much work on, on whatever Adam needs me to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so primarily I try to work on kind of leadership and organizational topics. I also work on, on acquisition sometimes, some of the larger ones. Uh, to try to help understand whether or not a potential acquisition would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. I do a significant amount of kind of one-on-one kind of mentoring kinds of things these days. And that's a very kind of eclectic mix, you know, kind of across the board. But primarily, I'm, I'm here to be a sounding board. I work, I've worked very closely with Dave. Obviously, we spent a lot of time working all of our COVID-related protocols uh, as part of the frontline team. But my passion at this point is, you know, trying to give back, as much as I can from my experiences and and other people's experiences relative to kind of developing others uh, and developing our, our organization, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as part of the company. So I really, you know, I, the reason why I, I wanted to do this is I have a huge passion for the company and yeah. for the people in the company and for our and for our organization. So I'm very motivated to try to help Adam and and everyone in, in any way that I can relative to help it to, you know not just maintain our culture, which is, I believe is unique, but help to improve it, you know, over time. You had talked about leadership, being a, an advisor and a mentor for leadership and how much you 
uh, enjoy Amphenol. You've been with Amphenol for quite a long time, too, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But seeing how much it's grown and developed over the years, and just recently, too, I mean, we just had the uh, fourth quarter earnings and 2021 numbers, and it was you know fantastic, $10.9 billion for the year, and how much we've grown. And then also the, the change to the organization from a, a, a new structure with the three divisions. And you got to work with the group general managers recently, too, I know, to to help nurture and develop them as well. Can you talk a little bit about that structure and then, you know, what you were tasked with doing from from a leadership standpoint? Obviously, you know, and maybe I just need to have a little bit of historical perspective, like we we're going to get to it anyways. But, uh, but you know, when I joined Amphenol back at the end of 2005 as part of the TCS acquisition, right. I believe the company was uh, certainly below $2 billion in annual sales. And yeah. I think obviously the TCS acquisition added a lot to it. And so, you know, obviously we're doing more than that a quarter and we're, and we're getting yeah. to the point where we're going to start doing more than that a month. And, you know, as the company has grown, we've, we've evolved it right um, over time. And, and when I joined, there was a group general manager structure, which was in place, but it, that wasn't all that old yet. I mean, prior to that, Martin had all the GMs that were in the company, but it was a small number, only about 20 or so mm-hmm. uh, that were reporting directly to him. Right. And so that first kind of evolution, which occurred there was the, was a whole uh, evolution development of the group structure. And then the group general managers, which would serve us really, really well for a number of years. And then obviously as the company has continued to grow, you know, Adam has uh, now put in place this division structure, which is, you know, very, very important. You know, the bedrock of all this continues to be the general managers and the individual businesses that we have. Right. And everything that we've done <clears throat> kind of along the way has continued to try and reinforce that and to maintain that and to facilitate that, right, to actually help that process along the way. And, you know, the groups were designed to do that in terms of, you know, trying to help the general managers to be able to find kind of synergies with other businesses to try to attack common market segments in a, mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, try to come up with some common efforts to go after individual customers or markets and to do that together while still preserving the autonomy of the individual businesses. You know, the job of a group general manager, I've been a group general manager for a long time. It's a great job, but it's a very different job than being a general manager, right? right? And working with general managers is different than being a general manager, mm-hmm. right? Although you need those experiences. So as we're moving to this division structure and we have some relatively new group general managers and we have some new group structures around that, Adam and Dave and I and others thought it was important to try to see if we can't get some of those uh, general managers together talk about, you know, what really is the role of a group general manager, right? And that has to be within the context of the company and the businesses and, and all those kinds of things. And so we, we just put together a couple day workshop essentially to talk about, right, best practices within that, talk about different approaches to that. There's no cookie cutter here kind of an approach, but it, it comes down to, you know, how do you develop people? How do you make sure your teams are in place? How do you help kind of pull together without intruding upon the general manager's autonomy and uh, and direction to be able to kind of drive a cohesive group and, and get success out of that? And most importantly, kind of talk about the differences between being a general manager and helping to kind of lead a group and, and working with general managers. And then also talking about the implications of this new division structure with mm-hmm. the uh, with the division presidents and kind of what's the same and what's going to be different, you know, kind of as we go forward. And Adam spent a good amount of time uh, with us during these sessions. And I think that was, you know, very, very helpful to kind of understand from, you know, from Adam's perspective, 
you know, how he's seen the evolution of the company and his personal experience, you know, kind of right. joined the company as a, as a business development director originally, and then becoming a general manager, and then a group general manager, then eventually president and CEO. But seeing those, seeing the evolution in his own career, and then applying that to the requirements and uh, the current challenges that we have today, right, with group general managers. You know, we also talked a lot about, you know, kind of the difference in the company, where we are today versus where we were, you know, kind of years ago, and right, the need right. for this, this new divisional structure. You know, it's not just about the numbers, but the scale is is very different, right? And the right. breadth of the company is very different. And so it's this, you know, ongoing challenge of, you know, how do you try to preserve the entrepreneurial flexibility, fast moving nature of our company, while at the same time, leveraging that scale, right? Yeah. And, uh, and successfully kind of moving beyond that scale, which is uh, obviously what we're going to do kind of going forward. So it's, it was a great, uh, I think it was a great couple of days, a lot of great insights within that. And uh, we're going to keep doing more of those too. Certainly one of the reasons for the growth over the past few years is, um, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier, was the, the various acquisitions that we've had over the years. And so you have been with Amphenol long enough now, and you being part of an acquisition yourself, to get an idea of the the different thought processes behind people who are coming in uh, and are fairly fresh into Amphenol post-acquisition. Have you kind of seen and heard just about everything when it comes to post-acquisition thoughts and ideas and challenges uh, over the years from whether it be general managers or now people who are group general managers, just people integrating into Amphenol, the Amphenolian culture, all of that? Well, it's a, it's a really interesting question. It's a really important question too. If you think about it, you know, I can use this analogy, although it's a little bit of a sensitive political topic, but, you know, as a company, we're really kind of a company full of immigrants, mm-hmm. right? We've, I mean, there's, there's many more of us uh, that have joined the company via acquisition that have kind of versus have kind of grown up. Through oh the company. yeah, sure. And, you know, the important thing about that culture is embracing those people, right? I mean, I, I really say people as opposed to embracing their businesses coming in. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that's important, but it's embracing those people and their cultures and their businesses and their strategies and their you know operating styles and making that part of Amphenol while also helping them to leverage what's best about Amphenol kind of going forward. Right. You know, the breadth of the acquisitions is is incredible, right? I mean, from, you know, very, very small private companies to, to our recent acquisition, which have been much larger, you know, mm-hmm. public companies, uh, to companies like FCI that are helped kind of bring into the, uh, into the company. And there's an adjustment period, right? There's yeah. certainly an adjustment period. There's kind of understanding, you know, what Amphenol is all about. I remember my own experience, and I think this is very typical for everybody kind of coming in, which is, it's hard to figure out what Amphenol is, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, that, and, to, and to some extent, that's a good thing because our competitors haven't figured it out. Right. <laughs> so they can't, it's, we're hard to copy, you know, from that perspective. And that's part of actually what some of my workshops uh, that I've had kind of previously with new general managers kind of coming in have been really talking about that. What, what are the differences? And what is the Amphenol culture that we talk about? Yeah. It's obviously not for everyone. Right. I mean, I think we all kind of understand that where you have to be highly self-motivated. Right. And you have to be able to to be independent and be able to take on the autonomy that you have to be able to kind of part of that. And that kind of cascades through the organization. But many, many of our acquisitions already have a similar culture. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of comes in. 
there's been obviously, you know, uh, some very, very successful transitions. And, you know, TCS was one of those, FCI was another, but there's so many, I, I hate to mention any because I think there's just so many uh, great examples of people have kind of come into the company and not just kind of assimilated or adjusted to Amphenol, but they've made Amphenol better. Right, right. right. And, if you, and if you look at those people who have come in via acquisitions, so many are in senior leadership roles, right? They've flourished, right? And they've taken on different jobs outside of the original company they were part of. You know, they've grown and they've understood kind of what it takes to be successful and they've helped to make the company successful and actually make the company better. Have I seen everything there is to see? Obviously not, because there's going to be something new and different probably around the corner. Yeah, but it's been uh, it's been really really encouraging to be part of you know a number of these acquisitions that have come on board because they're just wonderful people, and it's great seeing people be successful, and it's great seeing them kind of develop their you know their own cultures kind of within the Amphenol culture that you know that works and thrives right. You had mentioned something earlier too about being a mentor to people, um, and obviously as part of your role, that's it's kind of implied with what you're doing. I'll go backwards though. For you, as a, a young up and comer in the the business world, I know you at TCS. I think if I saw correctly, you're all the way back to the Texas Instrument days uh, in the in the late '70s. Who were some of the mentors that that you could talk about? Maybe one or two, or even three that. <laughs> Still to this day, you can hear their voices in your head, you know, whether it be someone from Amphenol or someone from when you were really young that has always stuck with you and you've never forgotten the influence that those people have had on you. Well, gosh, that's uh, uh, how long is this podcast? (laughs) As long as you want to make it. (laughs) I don't think we have enough time. I would have to kind of go. I I would have to really kind of start with my dad, right, Mm -hmm. to go all the way back. Right. You know, my. uh, my parents immigrated to the States uh, along with the rest of my family. So yeah. my grandparents and our extended family after, right after World War II, mm-hmm. you know, they came from Europe and uh, they, they pretty much lost everything and uh, had to start over. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, my dad actually came over by himself first before the rest of the family to try to, you know, start to kind of pave the way, if you will. Luckily we had, uh, uh, we had, a, he had an aunt that was living in the States at the time. But as a young man, he was in his you know, early 20s, didn't speak any English at all, mm-hmm. had a very limited education, and essentially had to kind of leave, every, leave everything behind and to start over to try to help kind of pave the way for his family. And it was not something that he wanted to do. I mean, he grew up on a farm in Poland, which was going back multiple generations. And yeah. he loved that life. I mean, he, he absolutely loved that life, right? I mean, I could tell from listening to him tell the stories about the things that he used to love to do, but that was went out the window and they lost all that. And so when he came to the States, you know, he had to start over again and he had to take on a job, which wasn't necessarily a great job. He worked in a foundry that uh, used cast iron to make boilers. Mm-hmm. And he worked in that foundry for his whole life. And he worked from most days from, you know, six o'clock in the morning until, you know, five o'clock at night working overtime. And so his work ethic and his sense of self-sacrifice, he typically never thought much about himself and it just acceptance and it worked really hard was kind of the example that, you know, that I've had in my life from, from that entire period of time where, you know, where it's not about you, it's about, you know, people that you care for 
and uh, there's an element of hard work, do the best you can, and you know, uh, make the best of your circumstances kind of going forward. And that really kind of created for me a lot of opportunities, right? Sure. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously education and, and whatnot, but it's that attitude that I've always tried to replicate as, as best as I, as best as I can. And then I've been just super blessed over my entire life to have just so many great people from my days at Texas Instruments, Teradyne, Amphenol, obviously Adam is a wonderful mentor for me. Uh-huh. Uh, we've worked together. Uh, I've worked for him for many years. The same is true for Martin. Uh, the same is true for Diana, who I miss dearly uh, at this point. And uh, I want to mention Gary Anderson, yeah. who was uh, somebody who helped me a lot when I first joined the company, who yes. really kind of understood what it was to be a, a strong leader within the company. And then, you know, multiple folks uh, kind of along the way. Even if I go back to my early days when I first started working, for example, at Texas Instruments, I had the sheer luck to have, I started as an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. Working as a manufacturing engineer, working on the manufacturing floor. And I had a technician who was assigned to me that allegedly worked for me, but the reality was I worked for him. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Sounds like a young junior officer in the military who has a seasoned veteran working for him. Yeah, That's exactly the analogy I use when I talk, because he was 30 years in the company and he could do anything, he could make anything. And he taught me so many really important lessons about what it meant to actually, you know, to work and to to do good work and about the importance of actually, you know, spending time on the floor, getting out there, see your operations. Does that sound familiar like an anthanol thing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you may be my boss, but if you want to succeed, you better listen to everything I tell you That's to right. do. Yeah. Because otherwise right. you're going to fail miserably. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, and, you know, and, and just really some really great folks, you know, kind of along the way that I've learned a lot in so many different functional ways. I, it would literally, it would take an entire podcast to go through everybody individually, but yeah, there are so many great people that, that touch you right along the way. Sure. And uh, if you can learn even a little tiny bit from each one, it, it ends up being just an amazing treasure trove of experiences that you can kind of bring forward. You having this is eh, kind of like your job is a great thing, I think. And I think you're a perfect one to be, you know, the senior advisor for Amphenol, for what it's worth. Not that my opinion really matters, but just, you know, knowing you a little bit now over the past couple of years, that's my observation. So there you uh, go. Thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate you saying that. So sure. But, uh, thank you very much. It's, it's really, it's a really enjoyable thing to have a chance to do that. And, and it's probably the most important thing to do. And I'm sure if you talk to any manager, whether it's a general manager or any manager, functional manager, or group right. general manager, they will all tell you the same thing that the most important most important part of their job is developing the people that they work with. Right. 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 And uh, that's that continuous process. I mean, you can, you know, I, I think that's if there's one of the things that makes us unique as a company and we have so many things, but you know, you can have the best business strategy in the world. You can have the best products in the world. And, but if you don't have the right people in that business, um, you're not going to be successful. That's something that I think is really well understood and uh, is something that is, you know, really focused on, right? Um, yeah. In terms of, do we have the right folks? What can we do to help develop them? What we, what can we do to help enable them to help facilitate and help create even more success for them and for the whole company? Organizational development, right? I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating subject. And I think that's what you're getting to when you get to the leadership roles is, 
you can't just be so myopic with your thinking. You really have to think through a lot of these problems from a, a much broader uh, perspective than you probably are used to. And that's, yes, that's, that's right. the biggest thing. And you have to be, you have to be open. I think right. is the main thing that you're just talking about. You have to be kind of be open to, you know, what's going on in the environment, what's going on with your, with your people, what's going on with yourself. Right. And circumstances change, right. Dramatically, just as we've seen, right. I mean, just in my short time here at, at Anthenol, you know, I've been through the 2008, 2009 downturn. Right. And now COVID, and and as I look back on 2008, 2009, what as difficult as that time period was, that was barely a warm up for yeah. what we've been through over the last two years. And in terms of the the ferocity of the change that we've had to deal with, and you know, and what that means, right, to our teams and to our people, and 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 all those kinds of things. You know, and as we talk about this development, it's not always easy conversations, right? And I think yeah. that's one of the things that that comes through in our culture is is the need to have you know kind of honest, honest conversations with mm-hmm. people, fact based conversations with people uh, about things that you know need to be done in those in those circumstances, so that we can you know kind of quickly address the issues and move on and continue to you know outperform our competitors, which we've been doing consistently. And that's a that's one of our key characteristics that typically in a kind of a downturn or in a challenging environment, we outperform, right? Because right. we we deal with the circumstances, right? We come to understand reality, going back to you know my dad's case, right? Understanding reality and then accepting that, dealing with it, and then moving forward. And I think that's one of the things that we're exceptionally good at as, uh, as a company within our organizations, because we recognize that, you know, trying to wish things away doesn't doesn't fix anything. Right. right. So you need to address it. And then if you can do that quickly, you can, you know, kind of rapidly move on from that and move forward. I mean, you know, if you look across our business today, across all those different businesses that we've got, you know, they're not all at different places. Some are doing exceptionally well, right. Mm-hmm. And some are having a tough time. Right. Right. And that spectrum is going on, you know, every day, every month, every year, and it changes. Yeah. And that's the challenge for, you know, leadership is, is understanding the spectrum of that and then understand what's, uh, what has to be done to try and get those things back on the right track. Cause there's no, again, there's no kind of set answer. There's no kind of cookie cutter approach to it. I'll use a, a perfect example. One I know you're intimately familiar with and, and myself as well. And you alluded to earlier is our response to the COVID-19 pandemic a couple of years ago and you and Dave heading up the, the our frontline team, which is basically just a corporate tiger team, if you will, that our task was to help in whatever way we can, give advice, uh, help with resources, guidance, materials, you name it. But that was in the face of a crisis with really no roadmap whatsoever. Okay, let's figure this out. Can you just give me your perspective as the leader of that team with you and Dave, like what that was like? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I guess the first thing I just want to point out is that you know, Dave is, was really driving that, right? Dave was the, the leader of that effort. And then I look at you and myself and everybody else, we're at a, a group of volunteers, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, some volunteers were drafted, but, but everybody <laughs> essentially volunteered right. to, to address a really urgent issue to try to help with, with the effort. I think that's, that's one important lesson is the fact that people step up in the company, people step up in their individual businesses. And so many people inside of our company wear multiple hats. I mean, this was not Dave's primary hat to wear. Right. Dave never signed up to be, you know, the pandemic czar 
right? <laughs> um, but but he took it on in addition to his other HR responsibilities because he was the one who was best in the, in the place to do that. And then, you know, after some discussions there about how could we try to really kind of drive that effort, I mean, that's how the frontline team kind of came to be. Yeah. We raced quickly to understand the facts of the situation, as difficult as it was to understand the facts, trying to figure out the right approach, the pragmatic approach. And we didn't essentially jam anything down any of the business units, right, in terms Mm -hmm. of you should do things this way. We worked really hard to try to come up with recommendations to help kind of facilitate things and to help take some of the burden off the general manager so that they didn't have to go off and do a whole bunch of their own individual work to understand what some approaches um, could be to help kind of mitigate the spread. Right. And we applied some pretty significant goals, right? I mean, I think that's another characteristic of the company where, you know, you have to set high goals, right, to be able to get high performance. And we did that with the frontline team also. We did that with our general managers, in terms of starting off by saying, listen, we know this is probably an impossible challenge, but we're going to set as a goal, zero transmission in our facilities, mm-hmm. right? That's our starting point. And I think a lot of companies didn't even start there. I think a lot of companies just said, well, you know, kind of whatever happens and, you know, people are going to get sick and whatever. And we, we never accepted that. Mm-hmm. And then we worked towards that goal in light of the unique challenges that we saw across the globe, right? So lots of different approaches, lots of different places figured out how we could quickly kind of find some technology enablers, source things that our general managers needed, including masks and testing and and all kinds of stuff. Learned a bunch of stuff that we never knew before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and did that extremely rapidly. Again, I would say that's kind of a unique characteristic of an Amphenolian is, you know, recognizing that we don't know the answer, but we're going to go off and figure it out real quick. And we're going to try a bunch of stuff and we're going to rapidly find out what works and what doesn't work. And, and we did that within our team. And we, mm-hmm. you know, we had like multiple paths going on trying to find testing. We had multiple paths going on trying to find PPE. We had, you know, we did work on HVAC and, yeah. and you know, <laughs> I mean, all across the spectrum, right? right. Again, things that, that I know you, you were exposed to that, uh, like, heck, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's a great case study for an organization the size of ours where you're dealt with a crisis that was not just isolated to, say, one business unit or one particular location. It was across the entire corporation, the entire world. How do we, as the Amphenol Corporation, help deal with that and help give guidance while while still fitting in with the Amphenolian culture? And that was, right. the, that was the needle to thread in all this. And far be it for me to you know, make the declaration, but I think we did a darn good job with still some work to go. But that was, to me, the really unique part about this entire thing. You know, it was also, we could see the examples of the things that we talk about, you know, in terms of the business units doing what they need to do to be successful, but then also how people work together mm-hmm. kind of across those boundaries. You know, when the pandemic hit in China first, you know, the teams from the rest of the world ended up trying to help our teams in China source PPE and, you know, try to help them get what they need to get right. And then as that, as the pandemic went on and, and, you know, the situation got more serious in other parts of the world, our teams in China gave back times 10, times a hundred, right. In terms of helping us source what the other businesses needed 
supporting what was going on and then obviously, you know, getting themselves back up and running so quickly to try to help, you know, the other businesses be able to support their customers during the time of, of real challenges across those, those businesses. And obviously we've seen a lot of ebb and flow in the pandemic. We've seen that geographically, uh, we've seen that over time and the characteristic continues to be that people continue to help their sister businesses and, you know, other ones at other places as they've needed it, you know, kind of around the world. And we've seen just one example after another over time in that. So it's been really rewarding. You know, I've, I've had a lot of interesting experiences in my career, mm-hmm. but I have to say that, you know, this time being part of the frontline team has been some of the most rewarded things that I've ever had a chance to actually participate in just to be able to be part of that effort. It's truly humbling to see how people have really stepped up and worked together to be able to address, you know, the common threat that people have had. We certainly veered off from a normal podcast so far, Rick, which is totally fine. You're in this unique role as this senior advisor and a mentor. It was only natural that we went this way. So we'll, we'll shift off of work for now as we start to get towards the end, right? So when you're not doing what you're doing for Amphenol right now, what do you like to do with the family in your free time? Oh, man, we, uh, we like to do lots of, a lot of it. A lot of what we like to do is, is outside focus. But starting point is uh, my wife and I have two small grandchildren. One's three, one's one. And yeah. that's, uh, they're the center of the universe for us. So yeah. we get a chance to uh, spend time with them and see them grow and, and, and be with them. And that's the best part. So we love spending time with our, with our kids and grandkids and uh, our, our extended family, number one. So kind of everything that we like to do is around that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, we like to spend time out in the sun. You know, I like to boat, fish, play golf, bike a lot, all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, anything we can kind of do as a family is always, is always great fun, you know, from that perspective. So, you know, and spend time with our friends, with our friends, you know, again, social activity as much as we can. And we're looking forward to getting back to more normalcy there yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the close in. Uh, my wife and I used to like to travel a lot, but yeah. you know that's been kind of curtailed. But we're you know we're looking forward to doing more of that in the future. Okay, so if I then said at least just for you, I could put you on a desert island by yourself, Rick. Okay, <laughs> and I said, all right, you could bring with you one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with an album. What album would you bring with you? I know you weren't yeah. ready for this kind of, but I yeah. know I'll put you on the spot, but uh, these no, sometimes I, result in the best answers. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always been uh, kind of a classic rock fan, you yeah. know, and you know, my favorite band is probably the Eagles. Right. And yeah. that, that dates me to a certain point in time. And I probably would bring probably their first album, but I would, I would probably have to bring a lot of albums, but that would be the first one I would bring. <laughs> okay. The Eagles it is. Uh, how about a book? I would probably bring a collection of Hemingway short stories. Oh, right. good one. Yeah, I, that may be mine, too. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I'd have to cheat. I would probably try to get like an anthology that's got as, as big a book as, we, as I could, because I ended up, uh, I just really think he's like one of the best authors, and I've read his stuff just over and over again, so I... I'm a big fan and uh, I would probably get, if there is like a combination book that have all those novels and short yeah, stories in one place, uh, well, I know that's what a, I would bring. There's a collected short stories book that's pretty easy to find on Amazon or any bookstore you go into, which is yeah. which is well worth it. Yeah, my my hard copy of that is pretty dog-eared at this point, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and then finally, how about a movie? 
you know, gosh, which movie is that I watched over and over again? So, you know, part of this is because of the time of the movie with my kids, but, yeah. you know, we've watched Top Gun about a thousand times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the serious side, though, you know, a movie like Saving Private Ryan is, okay. yeah. that's another movie we've watched just a bunch of times. Yeah. It's very touching. I mean, it really kind of cuts into uh, a lot of things. So, but yeah, it would be probably one of those two. Saving Private Ryan is maybe one of the most profound experiences I've had at a movie theater, especially after that first 20 minutes. You could hear a pin drop in that theater. Uh, yeah. I'll never forget that. But it's only appropriate, right, if I bring this back full circle. You talk about your dad and hard work and self-sacrifice. Nothing says more about hard work and self-sacrifice than the story behind Saving Private Ryan. So it seems to fit well. That's exactly true. Rick, thank you very much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, best of luck to you as you continue on on this journey with Amphenol. You have also become, I'll admit it now, a mentor to me as well. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. It's always been wonderful to work with you. And thanks for having me on the podcast and really appreciate it. So best of luck to you too. 